Hi, this is Erica Potter. And this is Hunter Willis. And this is Hot Girl Briefing. Hey, Erica. Hey, Hunter. What are we going to be talking about this week for this week's full-length briefing? We are talking about Taiwan. Okay, okay. (laughs) Love it. Specifically China and Taiwan, and maybe a little bit the U.S. Yeah, you know, we just kind of figured that Taiwan, while we were talking about it in the South China Sea, we realized that it's kind of confusing for those of y'all that don't know the history. I'm not going to lie, before I really like took classes on China and really started studying China, it was a little confusing to me as well. So we figured this will probably be a good full-length episode. You guys can learn a little bit more. Yeah, like I didn't even know that China still sees Taiwan as like a part of itself. That's just like simply having like a rebellious phase. Mm-hmm. And Taiwan's like over here, like, no, I'm independent. It kind of reminds yeah. me of like, you know, moms and teenagers, like the mom's like, uh, you're my child, my house, my rules. Yeah, and the teenagers that Taiwan's like, like no. 19 or 20 years old at this point. And <laughs> China's like, no, you're, st- you're grounded. It's like, you're like mm. oh, it's just a phase. They'll grow out of it. Yeah, like, no, I don't think so. Taiwan kind of wants to fly the nest. They want to go get their own apartment. They want to, they don't want to be living at home anymore. They're not really feeling it. And they haven't been feeling it for a while. Yeah. So do you want to talk about Taiwan's history a little bit? Yeah. So we'll just start off with the history of Taiwan. So BBC did a really great spread on this. We'll, like we always do, we'll include it in our source material. So if you guys want to know a little bit more, go there, check it out, check out the source material. But so specifically, Taiwan was always kind of like known as being with China. And then it was a Dutch colony for a brief period in like the 1600s. But then the Qing dynasty had it under its control after that. So then fast forward to around 1949, 1950, Mao Zedong, communist. You also have Chiang Kai-shek, who is a nationalist. And within China, you have the nationalist and the communist battling it out. The communists win, obviously. Mao Zedong's armies beat Chiang Kai-shek's army, and then the nationalists were defeated. And essentially, they all ran over to Taiwan to seek refuge and kind of recoup. And then they can come back to the mainland another time once they're ready to fight again. And then they can overthrow Mao Zedong and the communist. But fast forward a little while, that never ends up happening. So you have the nationalist government that's called the Kuomintang or the KMT government. And that was in 1949 that they ended up going over to Taiwan and the communists stayed in China. So China, the communist party, it is the Chinese communist party. They control China. It is now called the People's Republic of China. Taiwan, where the nationalist government is, is called the Republic of China. So the PRC is mainland China and the ROC, the Republic of China is Taiwan. So that's an important differentiation going forward. So why do they have to make it so similar? Well, because they really wanted to be a republic and, you know, they wanted to have it be for China. But usually whenever you hear republic of something, usually it's not. Usually it's not like a nice little democracy. It's pretty authoritarian. It's pretty dictatory. Yeah. Wasn't Taiwan like authoritarian, like starting in the beginning of its time in 1949? And then like, yeah, the Kuomintang government went underwent some democratic reforms. Yeah. So So it was actually technically Chiang Kai-shek, it was his son that then received, you know, the authority to run the government there. And he was actually the one that started off really 
putting Taiwan down a more democratic path. And the reason that Taiwan was so able to go down this democratic path and it was already kind of developed, whereas mainland China, Mao Zedong was going through, he was absolutely trying to develop everything as fast as he could. So was President Deng. It was, there was a lot going on in China that needed to, China, mainland China needed to grow. Taiwan didn't necessarily need to do that because it was a Japanese colony for a while. And it was like the golden, it was the crown jewel of a Japanese colony. So it had all the investment, it has infrastructure at this point, whereas mainland China, there's a lot of people that's still in poverty, a lot of people are dying from famine. So the communist government doing their own thing in China, not really worrying about Taiwan at this point, Taiwan not really worrying about China. Taiwan actually is being seen as China, as quote unquote China. In the UN, Taiwan is the one who's recognized, not mainland China as who China actually is. Ouch. Yeah. So at this point, you're still having this authoritarian government in Taiwan at this point still being recognized as quote unquote who China is. Meanwhile, the mainland government is saying, no, we're China. And this kind of continues to go on until. Well, China even said like, they told Taiwan, they're like one country, two systems, which is giving very separate, but equal vibes. Yeah. Um, But Taiwan didn't even accept that. So it's interesting that the United Nations like acknowledges Taiwan as China when even Taiwan's like, no, we're not China. And China's like, yeah, we are. So this is, so that was after. So the, the change happened in 1971, the UN changed who they recognized as China, which before had been the ROC, AKA Taiwan, And they had now changed it in 1971 to the PRC, AKA mainland China. And so that happened in 1971. So then you have China who is mainland China now saying, hey, we're gonna have two different systems, but we're all under one China, come over to us, stop being this rebel group of people, this little rebellious province of ours, and just come and do it. And we'll treat you guys like Hong Kong because previously Hong Kong was treated in a much different way than the rest of Chinese provinces and city states were. So essentially you had Hong Kong that was being treated like it was, it was more of a democracy. It still had some authoritarian vibes about it. It was still under China ultimately, but before Hong Kong was treated pretty kind of like, hey, you guys do your thing, but just know at the end of the day, you're still a part of China, but we'll let you guys do your thing. And so that was what China had originally offered to Taiwan. And Taiwan said no. And, you know, Taiwan looking back now and seeing how Hong Kong is being treated now is probably really happy that they did not go and agree with China and, you know, have this policy take place because now Hong Kong is being treated just like it's any old regular province in China and it's not having that different, but that those two systems, but one China feel towards it. Again, separate, but equal vibes. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. So it's like, it's pretty interesting seeing that, but then you're going to fast forward up to about 2000. They elected Chen Shui-bian as president. He was a candidate that openly backed independence. And for China, this was an absolute no-go. They were like, this is the biggest slap in the face. You couldn't have picked the worst person. We hate this man. We don't like him. And so China, (laughs) yeah, so China did not have good vibes with President Chen. But after Mr. Chen, then there was a president, Ma Yingzhou, who wanted to improve relations with China through economic means. 
And so they had really tried to go and create more economic ties in between China and Taiwan because they thought that this would help reduce tensions, which kind of, but kind of not, because now you're seeing people that are a little bit upset that Taiwan is kind of dependent on China economically, whereas before they weren't nearly as dependent. So it created a little bit more of an economic tie for Taiwan into China, but it didn't really do exactly what President Ma was hoping. So, and then in 2016, you have the now president Tsai Ing-wen, who she leads the Democratic Progressive Party. Then that party stands for they eventually want independence from China, but not immediate independence. It's not like they're gonna go out tomorrow and declare independence, but they are saying down the road, we wanna be very, like down the road, it want, we want it to be official that we are separate countries. We are not under the same rule. We are not under the same country. Yeah. And then I think what really solidified, I would say that independence, at least in the U.S.'s eyes, is when Donald Trump went and spoke with Taiwan President Mai, Tsai Ing-wen, Miss mm-hmm. Tsai, as we'll call her. Um, and then when Biden was elected, he basically confirmed that commitment to Taiwan saying it's rock solid. Yeah. And so the U.S. has always had a really interesting relationship with Taiwan, because even though it wouldn't necessarily acknowledge Taiwan as its own country, it still had defense agreements with Taiwan. So there is a defense agreement and it gets brought up a lot in modern day politics of that essentially the U.S. Congress had agreed to a treaty, a defensive treaty with Taiwan saying that if Taiwan was attacked, that the U.S. would come to their defense. And so you're seeing this always cause controversy nowadays because it's like, well, is the U.S. really acknowledging Taiwan? Is it saying that it's a separate territory? Is it saying that it'll actually go to war for Taiwan? Then you're seeing, will we actually go to war for Taiwan if there was a Chinese invasion? And, you know, it's pretty ambiguous. The U.S. prefers it that way because strategically it makes sense to have it that way. You don't want to say, yes, we're going to go to war with China over Taiwan because then that makes China see it as a very extreme threat. But you also don't want to say, no, we're not going to go to war over Taiwan, because then it basically just gives China the green light to go and invade China. Hey, everybody, just a quick edit right here. I had meant to say Taiwan is the second country, not China. So strategic ambiguity here is really key for how the U.S. plays its hand with China in regards to Taiwan. And so you're seeing that the U.S. has always been engaging in defensive weapons trades with Taiwan. So you'll see U.S. military equipment over there. And as far as that goes, the U.S. doesn't really have an embassy there. Instead, it has the American Institute in Taiwan, which essentially behaves as an embassy, but they don't call it that. So that's why China doesn't get super upset with the U.S. But they do get super upset when you have the president taking calls from the Taiwanese president, they get upset about that. China's like, that's like rattling a beehive. China is going to be, they're going to absolutely hate it. I mean, hey, Miss Tsai won record-breaking 8.2 million votes in 2020. That is the kind of president that I would want on, at least be on pretty good terms with, so... Yeah, and that really that really upset China even more at that point because they're like, you've got to be joking me. Now this record-breaking number of people are voting for President Tsai and it's just, people are upset about it. China is not happy about it. And How so dare China, you have a president that you love? <laughs> well, because China, in their eyes, they don't have a president. They're still under President Xi Jinping. So 
it really, to them, there is no president. It doesn't exist. So that's why there's never been any government to government talks because China doesn't acknowledge that Taipei has its own government. And Taipei is the capital of Taiwan, by the way. So you'll never see Taipei and Beijing going and having talks with each other. It's just not going to happen. So it's interesting because then you'll have China keeping on, China keeps on trying to pick off different members of the pro-Taiwan bloc. And so Taiwan pays money essentially to these other countries to have them acknowledge it as a country. And how many countries? So currently there's now 14, just within this last two weeks, when this episode is being recorded, this episode is being recorded on December 16th, by the way. So this is just breaking news within this last few days that Lithuania is on China's not good list. And the nice Yes, they're on very thin ice because they have been starting to recognize Taiwan and their struggle a little bit more. So they were really upset that essentially Lithuania was like, hey, we acknowledge the people's struggle of Taiwan. And China was like going ballistic over it. They were not happy, not pleased. This is exactly not what they want to hear. What they want to hear is like a good soldier like Nicaragua. Nicaragua, this was... On December 9th, it was an article from CNBC, Nicaragua breaks ties with Taiwan and it switches its allegiance to Beijing. So essentially what happened is Nicaragua cut off all communication and all ties with Taiwan and they moved over to solely and exclusively having relations with the PRC, mainland China. And so then you see a government official from China you're seeing China's ambassador at the UN, Zhang Jun, he congratulates Nicaragua by saying, and this is in a tweet, we highly commend the right decision made by the government of Nicaragua, which is in line with the prevailing trend of the time and people's aspiration. The one China principle is a consensus widely accepted by the international community and allows no challenge. All right, did he let Donald Trump get a hold of his Twitter? That's what I'm saying. It's like, that's like a like, very, that's a very direct and almost like menacing tweet to send out. You're not sending out like, hey, we're really happy that you started to acknowledge us. And, you know, we've been really like fighting for this fight a long time and we're really happy. It's like, we come in the right decision and there, this allows no challenge. The one China policy, it there's no challenge to it. And it's like, that's a very direct and kind of menacing tweet to put out if you ask me. Well, they know that they can't pull that in like the United Nations. Like, I mean, Twitter is really the only option they have. I mean, they could say it at the UN, but people aren't. Uh, they too will definitely not. Like, I think Taiwan would get more allies if China said that. I don't think so because China's clearly saying it here. And you're only so Taiwan's down to 14 countries recognizing it as its own country. The US is not included in that because the US doesn't recognize Taiwan as a country. It also doesn't not recognize Taiwan as a country. That's where the strategic ambiguity of the U.S. comes in, of where the U.S. is like, well, we're not going to say that Taiwan's a country, but we're also not going to say that it's not a country on its own. So we're just going to kind of just chill here. So whenever the U.S. really has to mention it, it'll call it a territory. But we're seeing this shift in Nicaragua come right after a time where the U.S. is really upset with Nicaragua. And this is something that Nicaragua could do that would anger the U.S. So the U.S. recently put sanctions on a national security advisor of Nicaraguan President Daniel Ortega. 
And then Joe Biden called Ortega's election a pantomime. You know, after the elections last year, I don't know how you can really say anything about anybody else's election. Granted, we all know the, the results of the 2020 election. We all know that it was a safe and secure election. There, was, there wasn't all these like crazy votes going on. It was not any of these dark conspiracy theories, but there was so, still a lot of like circus and fanfare around it. So the fact that Joe Biden is calling this election a <laughs> pantomime. <laughs> yeah, no, literally. That's insane. You, you put the definition right here in the sources. I think I did, you should definitely share that on the website. I wasn't but... 100% sure what pantomime meant. So I did have to Google it. It means a pantomime a is a dramatic yeah. entertainment or theatrical entertainment for children that since it is a mime that is dramatic, which yeah, I am dramatic. And the, yeah, you're right. Literally the fact that anyone in the U.S., like any single person in the U.S. could be like, Especially that election's a pantomime. Call this election a pantomime. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, this is this is a bit much. We're getting a little crazy around here. I'm like, President Biden, come on. I mean, they're basically now. scholars. Joe, you gotta in, calm it down. Basically scholars in pantomime elections, if you ask me over here in the U.S. Girl, you would think so. So it's like, <laughs> literally honestly, the most entertaining in a like car crash kind of way. When I read that, I could not stop laughing about it. I'm like, who who in America is to say any election is a pantomime? Honestly, we've had enough crazy elections here in the last how many years? We should not be saying anything to anybody. So I'm like, you already know that if you're stowing, if you're throwing these this big of a stone in this glass of a house, it must have been a far. It, there must have been something real crazy going on with this. Joe election. Biden's taking a page from Trump with his uh, cheekiness. Yeah. So essentially, this is the way that Nicaragua could get back at the U.S. So they're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to switch. We're going to do a real big switch up. And we're moving over to the Beijing camp and not the Taiwan camp. And then the U.S. was "Mm, the rebellious children. (laughs) Yeah. So now the U.S. is like, well, now we're even more upset. So that is kind of the story of Nicaragua. Well, but, Nicaragua doesn't know that they're playing checkers and we're all playing chess. So I girl, I mean, listen, there's a <laughs> there's a fair bit that goes into it. You want to know the craziest thing though? So you want to know who who in 2019, who in 2019 do you think that it was that moved over in quick succession to the Beijing camp instead of the Taiwan camp? I'm gonna guess two countries that are not as economically developed and probably rely on China a lot economically and are probably geographically close to China, which is why they rely on them. You, you've, you've guessed it, Erica. In 2019, Taiwan quickly, very quickly lost two allies. And these allies were the Solomon Islands and it was Kiribati. <laughs> Who did we just talk about in our last BRI episode with Kiribati. Kiribati. Kiribati in 2019 moved over to the pro-Beijing camp. And then all of a sudden now, Kiribati, it's looking like one of the prime interests, one of the prime interests for Chinese investment. And this was after they had moved over to the Beijing camp instead of the Taiwan camp. Are we seeing any circumstances here, people? Do we believe in circumstances or are we just going to call, this is a duck. It walks like a duck. It quacks like a duck. It's a duck. This is a duck. No, I'm sure it's just a coincidence. No, Kiribati's absolutely the <laughs> duck here. <laughs> it just has to be a coincidental duck. But no, 
So it's like, you're seeing these countries that are moving over to the pro-Beijing camp. And then all of a sudden, now they're getting the benefits of being in the pro-Beijing camp. So with this shift in allies for Taiwan, you're seeing them drastically go and lose allies. And then you're seeing them pop over in the, Beijing, in the pro-Beijing camp. And then you're seeing them be rewarded for this. Okay. Well, so I wouldn't say that like Solomon Islands and Kiribati, Kiribati are powerhouse countries. No. So does Taiwan have any like powerhouse countries? I mean, I know like the United States isn't like necessarily denying their independence. So like you can't count them as an so, ally, but they're not an enemy. But do we have any like, I don't know, bigger countries that are recognizing Taiwan or? The, the answer is no. Um, so, <laughs> Poor there Taiwan. Is, so there actually is one that's in the Security Council right now, but it is a rotating member. So you have St. Vincent and the Grenadines that is, they recognize Taiwan. So we'll actually just go through the whole list. The whole list in order from the most populated to the least populated. It starts out with Guatemala, Haiti, Honduras, Paraguay, Eswatini, Belize, St. Lucia, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Marshall Islands, St. Kitts and Nevis, Palau, Tuvalu, Nauru, and Vatican City. These are, that's the entire list of who views Taiwan as a country and who in their foreign policy states that they claim Taiwan as a country. And they pay them, right? They pay them to Taiwan. Taiwan them. does. Taiwan does give some foreign investment to these countries, to most of them. Um, I'm not 100% sure about the Vatican City. I don't think Taiwan gives any money to Vatican City. They might, um, but from what I'm aware of, no, they don't. Um, but the rest, Taiwan does give foreign investment into countries. And this essentially is a, it, it's essentially one of the things that helps these countries say, hey, guess what? we're going to recognize you as a country. Why? Because you're giving us a whole lot of money to do it. You're giving us money. And who are we to say no at that point? Of course you're a country. You want us to say that you're a country for some foreign aid? You're a country. You got it. Talk about paying for your friends. Yeah. But then notice Lithuania isn't on that list. So you're seeing these countries that aren't necessarily on the list that recognize Taiwan as a country that do recognize it as like a part of China, but a struggling part of China that's fighting for independence. So it's really interesting to kind of see that dynamic. Yeah. And I mean, do we expect that list to grow anytime soon? Like, I mean, I think the fact that the United States like talked to the Taiwanese president is like a hopeful sign, I guess, for Taiwan to be recognized. But so my prediction is that if the U.S. recognizes Taiwan as its own country, it's severely going to upset China. It's going to cause major rifts between the U.S. and China and at that point, more countries would join on, especially our allies, because if we were recognizing Taiwan as a country, at that point, we would absolutely most likely be willing to go to war for them too. So at that point, you'd have to have other US alliances also being recognizing of Taiwan as a country, since they would also have to go to war for it. So the US at that point, it would have to expend a lot of political capital. But if the US did recognize Taiwan as a country, other countries would follow suit. You know, I'm kind of surprised that, well, maybe not surprised, but I would like to see maybe Japan supporting Taiwan, considering that similar to us in the United States, Japan has kind of like 
I mean, I know you said like it would cause more rifts. There's already rifts existing between the US and China. And I feel like Japan is kind of in the same boat. They've got some not like not cold war level rifts, but they're they're well, there, like under the cracks waiting to come out. And so, so I think it'd be interesting to see Japan like support Taiwan. Yeah. So one of the reasons that Japan doesn't is because Japan already has enough kind of things going on with China. They already have their own complicated relationship. And then on top of that, they're one of the U.S.'s top allies. So they've already got enough going on with China that especially going and recognizing Taiwan, it would really it would really put a damper on that because lately their relations have, you know, been improving a little bit, I would say. So if you're going and you're having them or I wouldn't necessarily say improving. But their relations aren't horrible. They're not horrible. That would make them horrible. If Japan goes and recognizes Taiwan, it would absolutely crush their relations. It would make them nearly impossible to get back to what they are at now. So it would be really hard for them. So unless the U.S. was also going to recognize Taiwan, it would be really hard for Japan to do that. So question about... Taiwan, China, and the South China Sea. I know we Mm -hmm. talked a lot about South China Sea uh, in a previous episode. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. We talked a little bit about China and Taiwan there as well. It's where we got the inspiration for this episode. So definitely go and check that out. You'll get a little bit more of some backstory with the South China Sea. Yep. So when Taiwan, like when they claim parts of the South China Sea, I'm curious as to how China handles that. Like, does China just see it's like, oh, that's just my rebellious teenage daughter, like marking that's my exactly territory. That's exactly how China sees it. China absolutely views it as just a rebellious province. They view it just like Xinjiang. They view it just like Hong Kong. They view it as it's all a part of China. And the fact that you just happen to be rebelling right now doesn't change that. You're still part of China. Does Taiwan have any plans to maybe not go to war with China, but to accelerate their rebellion to a more extreme? So they do plan on having a lot more military spending within the next five years. Their president Tsai was saying that she wants to have a lot more military spending on naval capacities such as warships and missiles. So you're seeing a lot of the war games come out and essentially it never has the U.S. and Taiwan winning. It has China winning every single time. But then you're seeing Taiwanese security officials saying that it would be really hard for China to mount a full invasion against Taiwan. It would be really hard. They don't have the transportation efficiency that they would need for a full-scale invasion. So unless China essentially created this barricade for Taiwan or they started using missiles to go and blow up Taiwan and they didn't mount a full-scale invasion and they were more reliant on offensive missile capabilities, that would be the only kind of a way where it would be able to be a thing since Taiwanese security officials are saying that it's not super possible for China to mount a full invasion. So while they are saying that that's impossible, they're still preparing for, hey, we're going to have to have some defensive capabilities here. And we're going to need that in terms of naval capacity, whether it's missiles or whether it's warships, we're going to need that. And then you also have the U.S., having a fleet there is strategically positioned. It routinely goes through the South China Sea, through the Strait of Taiwan. You're having U.S. presence there. There is a U.S. presence there, without a doubt, especially when you have the American Institute of Taiwan. So you're essentially having this like embassy that's not really an embassy there. You have military right outside within the South China Sea, within the Pacific Ocean. So you have 
the U.S. having a presence there. So while the while Taiwan isn't really expediting to go to war, it's still preparing just in case it does have to go to war. Gotcha. Yeah, and you're seeing this also come through, like stemming from nationalism, where a lot more Taiwanese people are identifying themselves as Taiwanese versus, yeah, I'm actually Chinese, but I live in Taiwan. It's like, no, a lot of people these days are saying, no, I, I am Taiwanese. I'm not Chinese. I'm not Chinese. I'm from Taiwan. You're seeing. Why do I feel that. like this is like the United States and Texas? This is, <laughs> it's giving me the same vibe. It's giving very like succession vibe. Like succession. I'm not United. I'm not an American. I'm a Texan. Yeah, and you know, I mean, it's like it's kind of like that. Not nearly to the same extent, but you're having these places like Taiwan that are fighting for independence from these countries of China and saying, you know, we are independent. You're having these different little regions across the world. And so like one of these, you're seeing Kosovo that is kind of an example of this, of where it, you know, wants to be separate, doesn't really want to be there. You're seeing all of these different things. You know, Quebec even, Quebec is like, we don't really want to be a part of Canada. There's a big movement in Quebec that's like, we don't want to be here. Oh yeah, I've heard about that. want to be here. (laughs) Especially like South Tyrol, Austria and Italy. That's one of the big things. That's from Benedictor sourcing that. There's like Hawaii too. I feel like exactly. Hawaii is literally the same thing. They're like, we don't consider ourselves part of the United States, but the United States is like, ah, they're just, yeah. they're just kidding. Mm-hmm. They're just saying mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So it's just, you have all these examples of these different regions that are saying like, look, like we don't identify as this country. We identify as our own. We are our own government. We're our own nation. We're our own state we are our own nation state at this point. We're not just a piece. We're not a province. We're not a state. We're a nation state at this point. So what's exactly going to happen with Taiwan in the future? We don't know. China only seems to be getting more and more impatient with Taiwan of wanting them to just reunite already with mainland China. It's one of China's biggest foreign policy objectives besides the Belt and Road. This is like their top two, I would say, for foreign policy objectives. it's not going to be an easy thing. This is one of China's like non-negotiables. So the fact that you're having countries out here that are trying to move around it and you're seeing the consequences. Now, Lithuania has a ton of sanctions placed on them. China's going around and saying, don't buy from Lithuania, forcing other people to kind of like start dropping contracts with Lithuanian businesses just because it's going to support Lithuania at the end of the day. And China really doesn't want that because now Lithuania has upset them over Taiwan. So China's just a a little possessive, little, little, um, you know, country hungry, but you know, I'm curious to see where, which countries will ally themselves with Taiwan and which ones will drop alliances. And I guess we'll just have to wait and see. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in terms of an episode without that. Yeah, it wouldn't be an episode without a wait and see. But in terms of the U.S., it seems like the U.S. is cuddling up to Taiwan a little bit more, especially Donald Trump really kicked that off with answering that phone call from President Tsai. You're seeing President Biden say that we are absolutely with Taiwan, but you're not seeing him say that it's a country. So it's a little, it's a little, you know, odd at times. But yeah, so you're seeing President Biden, just like you said earlier, Erica, say that the commitment to Taiwan is rock solid. You're so you're seeing America take on a more cozy stance with Taiwan than we ever have before up until 
1979 when we started not really recognizing Taiwan as a full-blown country of their own. So ever since then, it's been kind of quiet, but you're really seeing these last, the last administration and the current administration really step up to Taiwan and saying that at the end of the day, we're going to be cozy with Taiwan and China's not going to be able to tell us who we're going to be friends with. Yeah. You tell him Biden, you tell him Trump. (laughs) (laughs) You tell him. I guess we'll just have to wait and see, but I think that's all we have for the Taiwan and China episode. Yeah. So if you guys want to hear more, we can always do a BRI segment on Taiwan too. Um, We can talk about how Taiwan kind of plays into that, but if you guys want to, please leave us a rate, review, and subscribe, and definitely check out our source material online at www.hotgirlbriefing.com. And with that, we will see you guys next week for a Keep It Brief and a Keep It BRI. So thank you guys so much for tuning into your full-length Hot Girl Briefing. Stay hot, be a hot girl, enjoy your holidays over this wonderful time of year, no matter what holiday you celebrate. We are wishing you a happy holiday. And we will see y'all next week. Erica, anything to add? Yeah, leave us a review as like a belated Christmas gift or, uh, you know, early New Year's gift. Like leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love them so much. Yep, late late Hanukkah. Any holiday. It'll be a gift for any of your holidays that y'all celebrate. Boxing Day gift. Um, (laughs) Literally any holiday you can think of. Please think about leaving us a review and checking out the websites and following us on social medias, which now include TikTok. Yes. So we will see y'all next week for a Keep It Brief and a Keep It BRI. And thank you guys so much for tuning in. And like Erica said, go subscribe, go review, go rate. We would love it. Bye. Hey, everybody. We just wanted to actually take a second right here just to thank everybody for tuning in for the first six months of Hot Girl Briefing. It has been so much fun to do this for the first six months and we can't wait for even more for the next six months and even more beyond that. So thank you all for tuning in, especially through the holidays. We still see that you guys are listening while you guys are going and celebrating with your friends, family, neighbors, whoever you're celebrating with. And we can see that the streams are still coming in. So we just wanted to say thank you all so much for making us a part of your life and for becoming part of ours, Erica and I could not be more grateful to have such a great listenership and audience. We truly do appreciate it. So with this, we will say thank you. Happy holidays. And we will see you guys in the new year with our new episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in. And we can't wait to see you guys.